yes, come and be a part of Friendship Night of Games and I will dominate you in my favorite. No, I'm actually pretty bad at board games. You'll go ahead and put a whooping on me. That's just fine. Happy Sunday, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm the pastor here. And I I hope that you had an opportunity on your way in this morning to observe just some of the beauty that was around you. Uh, Some of the, the yellows and the oranges and the purples up against the blue sky with little white puffy clouds. It was just gorgeous this morning, all that God has made and the opportunity to enjoy it. And this is one of those Beautiful and blessed Sundays where we are guaranteed that the Vikings will not lose. So enjoy that as well. There are a couple of those along the season. Uh, We're going to jump into a sermon series, a six-week sermon series called The Holy Spirit, God in Us. Are you able to guess the subject matter of the sermon series? Yeah, over the next six weeks, we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and we are going to be looking about at what the Holy Spirit has said about himself in the word which he inspired. And we're going to be looking at questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? What is he like? How does he relate to the Father and the Son? What does he do in the world? What, what does he do in our lives? And how should we relate to him? And today, as we start with some of the most basic questions about the Holy Spirit, we're going to spend some time looking at Jesus' primary teaching about the Holy Spirit. So a vast majority of Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit is found in four sections of Scripture in John 14, 15, and 16. And that's going to be our focus today. And I'm going to go ahead and read those four sections for us. And to honor the word of the Lord, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. As I read these sections, beginning with John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A few verses later, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And then in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Just an aside, we're going to cover this section about uh, conviction and judgment uh, heavy in two weeks. I will have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to to you. You may be seated. Thank you, friends. The first thing I want us to understand about the Holy Spirit as we read this teaching from Jesus is this. He is one of three members of the Trinity. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's one of three members of the Trinity. Did you notice the number of times that Jesus brought the Father, himself, and the Spirit or the Helper into the same sentence? He brings them together and speaks about them together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because these are the three members of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? The doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is represented, perhaps imperfectly, but represented by this diagram that shows the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And so we recognize that the Holy Spirit is three distinct persons, All God within the Godhead. And and this is not just a dusty old doctrine. Uh, This is beautiful and affects the way that you and I relate to each other. Because we see within the Trinity how God is able to be perfect love. Who, Who is it that God loved before he made everything? There was nothing to love. So how was God love before he made everything? The answer to that is he was able to perfectly express every aspect of love within himself throughout eternity past. He was able to to give love, receive love, and observe love between the two that he loved most, all within the Godhead, throughout all of eternity past. The Father loving the Son, the Son receiving that love, and the Holy Spirit having the joy and delight of two people that he loves the most, loving each other well. When God made us in his image, he invited us into relationships that look like this. It was not good that a man should be alone. Instead, we were designed to be in relationships that look like this, so that you and I and God now exist in this same kind of three-person relationship where I love you and you receive that love and God has a great delight in watching his two children love each other well. You love God. God receives that love and I have the great delight of watching you love God well. God has perfectly loved within the Trinity, giving, receiving, and observing love and he has invited us into that perfect relationship with him. We also see from the Holy Spirit being a member of the Trinity that he is God. As the Father is God, as the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Not junior God trying to get there. No, fully God. We see the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible doing the acts of God. Whether it is creation or we're told he's the one who brought about the incarnation of Jesus. He is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the one who enacts salvation in the believer's life. He's doing the works of salvation throughout the scripture. He's also called God within the scripture. One of the primary names for the Holy Spirit within the Bible is the Spirit of God. That's right. I love Acts chapter 5 where Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit. Then in the next verse, you've not lied to man, but to God, because the Holy Spirit is God, and he is called such throughout the scriptures. And he has attributes in the Bible that people don't have. He has attributes that only belong to God, like eternality, omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. Right? He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. That's not true of us, but it's true of the Holy Spirit because he is God. You know what this means? This means everything that we can rightly say about God, we can say about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if we always think about it like that, but every attribute and characteristic of God is true of the Holy Spirit. Is God love? Yes. So what is the Holy Spirit? Right? Is God holy? Yes. So what is the Holy Spirit? He's holy. And on and on we could go. Every attribute and characteristic that is true of God is true of the Holy Spirit, and we worship him in those things because he is God. Now, I want to combine this with a second idea that we get from this passage. And that is, the Holy Spirit is a person. Right? The Holy Spirit is a person. Do you notice the masculine pronouns that are underlined in the verses that I have up on the screen? When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he refers to the Holy Spirit as he. You might go, whatever. Who cares? Well, let's geek out on the Greek language for a minute. Are you ready? Are you excited? Yeah, you guys are super excited. In the Greek language, like in some other languages that you've studied, every noun has a gender. A noun can be masculine or feminine or neuter, neither. When a noun has a particular gender, the pronouns that are used always match that gender. So if the subject is a ma masculine noun, you're going to see pronouns that are masculine that match. If it is a neuter noun, you're going to see pronouns that are neuter to match. Here in this passage, Jesus breaks those rules, right? The, the author of the Gospels breaks those rules. And what we see is the Holy Spirit talked about, the, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is a neuter noun, and so it should be accompanied by neuter pronouns. But in fact, here what we see are masculine pronouns attributed to the spirit, pneuma, which is neuter. Why? Right? Why have they broken the grammar principles of the Greek language? Because if you used the, the generic pronouns, right, the neuter pronouns, they might get translated it. And there is no way that God wants us understanding the Holy Spirit to be an it or a thing or an essence. He wants us to make sure we understand the Holy Spirit is a person. As the Father is a person, as the Son is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. This is so very important in our day and age because mystical ideas from Eastern religions have crept in and sometimes get mingled with biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit in the ways that the Holy Spirit is talked about and sung about. The, the Holy Spirit is sometimes inappropriately seen in a way that is similar to the life force of Hinduism or the force of Star Wars, which they're, they're not very different. 
He's in all things and he flows through all things. And he's just an, an energy field out there. And we really just need to connect to that energy field. Right? Highly impersonal understanding of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's talked about as an element. Uh, he, he's, he's a wave we need to get to crash over us. Or, or he's a mist and we just need to turn on our Holy Spirit diffuser to get enough of him in the room so that he just takes up the atmosphere in the room. There are other ways that people think of the Holy Spirit like, a, like an energy or power so that if we just plug into him, we can get energy and power for whatever we want. I'm just going to plug into the Holy Spirit and then all of his energy and power are mine. God's like, no, he's a person. He's not an element. Right? He's not the weather. He's not the one force that binds and unifies all things. Right? He, no, he's a person. He is God the person. Now, I, I'm going to show you an illustration here of when the Holy Spirit is mocked and belittled in a way that sees him as a force for our use. I'll show you this because it is uh, an exaggerated example. Went around on TikTok a few years ago. And so uh, millions and millions of people had an opportunity to see this. You may be one of them. From Celebrity Family Feud. Here we go. China, you need 16 points to win. Okay. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can Hold on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, no. Oh, activate. Oh, no. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. I said, okay. Activate. Poor Steve Harvey, that guy's been through a lot. I, I thought long and hard about whether I should even show that because the song is catchy enough. It's all you're going to walk away with today. It doesn't matter what else we sing, what else I say. All you're going to be doing is chanting that over and over again in your head. Right? You can see what happens when the Holy Spirit winds up belittled and demeaned so that he is just a force for me to enact whenever I want to do something in my life, like win in the final round of Family Feud. Just plug yourself in and use him. We need to put these ideas together. He is person, he is God, which means our primary interaction with the Holy Spirit isn't to use him. It's not to try and connect with him as the one force. What's our primary interaction with the Holy Spirit? He, he's God. Our primary interaction is to worship him and be obedient to him. Isn't that what our primary interaction is? Absolutely. We're to worship him and be obedient to him because he is the person of God. The final thing I want us to see in John 14, 15, and 16 is this. The Holy Spirit is a Christ-like helper. The Holy Spirit is a Christ-like helper. I know you saw the number of times in this passage that the Holy Spirit was referred to as the helper or the helper was used as a synonym for Holy Spirit. Right, what does it mean that he is our helper? The Greek word is parakaletas, which means helper, guide, or advocate who pleads your case. And there's a fair amount of discussion about how it is that the Holy Spirit is our helper or our advocate. Some go so far as to say, well, he's, he's your helper for whatever you want. Like, you want to get into that college? That's great. You've got a powerful helper on your side. 
You want to raise at work? That's great. You've got a powerful helper on your side. But, but we can see from what Jesus says here, that is clearly not what Jesus is talking about. There is a very important word here that Jesus uses that helps us to understand what parakaletas means when he uses it here. And it is that word, another. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. When Jesus introduces the idea of helper, he doesn't introduce it by itself. He introduces it with this other word, another. Another helper who will be with you forever. Well, if the Holy Spirit is another helper, who is the first helper? Right? Yeah, it's Sunday school answer time, friends. Absolutely. Right? Jesus, isn't the entire flow of what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit here that Jesus started a ministry and that the Holy Spirit is going to carry it to completion? Right? Jesus is the first helper and now he is going to send a what? Another helper. And so whatever it means that the Holy Spirit is a helper, we should be able to see it in the ministry and life of Christ as the first helper. Right? He is another helper of the same kind that word means. And so we should be able to see it in Christ. So what kind of helper is Christ to us that we can expect from the Holy Spirit and his help? Well, reading through the context of the passage, it seems very clear that teaching us the truth about the kingdom is one thing that is in mind. Did you notice the number of times that Jesus referred to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth? The one who will lead you into all truth. The one who will remind you of what I said. The one who will teach you the things that you're not yet ready for. What is it that Jesus did? Jesus came as the truth in order to teach people the gospel and the way of the kingdom. How is the Holy Spirit a helper like Christ? He comes into his people in order to give us the inspired word of God and to illuminate us so that the word of God impacts our lives and transforms who we are. He, he leads us and guides us in those ways. As Christ is our teacher, as Christ is the one who teaches us the essentials of the kingdom, so now the Holy Spirit comes and leads us and guides us through those essentials of the kingdom that Christ has given uh, second, I want to point out, the Spirit continues Jesus' work in that he enacts our salvation. Uh, the New Testament is clear, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this in two weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, that what Jesus procured through his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit enacts in our life. Right? Je Jesus purchased it, the Holy Spirit puts it to work in us. And so what Jesus started, he was the first helper. Remember what we read last week in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? Do you remember this? Uh, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Hey, Jesus came to serve. What, what's another word for serve? Help, right? Jesus is our servant, our helper who provides the aid we need. How does he help us and provide the aid we need? By being our, our ransom a word also translated redemption. How is the Holy Spirit our helper? He applies that redemption to our lives. And so he is a helper of the same kind that Jesus is our helper. What, what do we see about the Holy Spirit here in these chapters? The Holy Spirit's one of three members of the Trinity. 
The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not an entity, not the weather. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit is a Christ-like helper, right? He is a a Christ-like helper who, who helps us understand the kingdom and live into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has good news. Having gone through these primary things we can understand about the Holy Spirit, And that good news is, disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you've been saved by Jesus, if you are his follower, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Look at what Jesus says here in John 14, 17. You know him. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. There is this amazing and beautiful change that takes place at Pentecost. Up until this time, the Holy Spirit has dwelt with the people of God. Right? He, he's been in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and the people of God have been around him, and he's been with the people of God. But as of Pentecost, there is this transition where now the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the people of God. He, he now indwells us. Uh, he, he does not indwell the world or the people of the world. Look at the next uh, line here. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It's not in the world. Who's the Holy Spirit indwell? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. God sends the Holy Spirit to those who love Jesus. Right? It's those who love Jesus that receive this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can tell a person loves Jesus because that's the person who's seeking to be obedient to Jesus. You can tell a person is a part of the kingdom because that is a person who has submitted their life to the king. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments, and I'm going to send the Spirit upon those who love me. Not on the world, but upon those who love me. So that further into the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6.19 we are told that each of us as individuals are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? As the temple was the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. More than that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are told that, that we, right? it's a plural you there, we, the people of God, the church of God, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we, as the people of God, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. Is there there better news than that? That means the Holy Spirit is everywhere that you dwell. There are not unholy places and holy places in your life. Everywhere you go is holy ground. Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Everywhere you go is holy ground because the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is so important for us to understand because, again, there are times that I'm tempted even in my teaching or or in the songs that we sing to act as if the Holy Spirit is out there somewhere. Some kind of force that we need to coax into the room in the right way. We need to enchant him into the room or welcome him into the room in just the right way. And then maybe he'll join us. Come on, reluctant Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. Come on, be a part of this. 
But in fact, what the scripture teaches us again and again is the Holy Spirit dwells in you, right? Everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit is there and this is holy ground. And so the Holy Spirit is right here, right now. And what we're about to see is what he wants from us is to get busy praising Jesus. That's his great desire. Not to try and invoke him, not to try to get him to reign into the room, but to praise Jesus' name. That is his great desire. How can we tell if the Spirit is present? How can we tell if the Spirit's at work? Let, let me just uh, take a moment and think about your, how you would answer that question. If you looked at an individual or a church, what would be a marker that you'd look for of the Holy Spirit's presence and work? Think about that for a minute. I'm going to give a couple of markers that I think Jesus gives us here in this passage that we can rightly look at and say, yep, that's how you can tell the Holy Spirit is present and at work in a person's life, in a church's life. But before I do that, I want to give uh, three false markers that I have seen over the course of my 25 years as a pastor that I don't think are healthy ways to judge whether the Spirit is present and at work. As I give these things, I want you to understand the things I'm about to talk to aren't wrong. They can be right or wrong, depending on how they're done. They're just not good markers of whether or not the Spirit is present and at work. All right, so, so let, me, let me walk you through three of these. The first, poor marker, the feels. Did I get all the feels, you guys? Sometimes people refer to feeling the Holy Spirit's presence based on whether or not they had a strong emotional response to something. I've experienced all the feels today. I, I laughed, I cried, I reminisced, I was excited. If I experienced all the feels, the Holy Spirit must have been present and powerfully at work. Uh, friends, I, I have experienced all of those things at a high school football game. And I guarantee it was not the Holy Spirit. I have experienced all of those things watching certain movies that I know the Holy Spirit didn't inspire. There is nothing in the Word of God that connects a marker for the Spirit's presence and powerful work with a certain amount of feelings or goosebumps a person might have. As a matter of fact, one of the enemy's greatest victories in our day is that he has taken the Holy Spirit, who the Son of God refers to again and again as the Spirit of what? Truth. And he has turned him into the Spirit of feelings for so many believers. Right? This is one of the enemy's greatest victories, to turn the Spirit of truth into the Spirit of the feels. It's a poor marker. Again, I'm not suggesting that as we worship the Lord, we will never experience feelings. Do you understand the distinction I'm making? We'll experience feelings. Many of them are going to be great and of God, but they're a terrible marker to judge whether the Spirit is present and whether he's at work. Poor marker number two, spontaneity. On occasion, I've heard believers communicate that if something is spontaneous, there's a better chance that the Holy Spirit was involved. Uh, I have seen pastors lose all their notes that got blown away 
and have to speak off the top of their head and people have said, oh, oh, that second half must have really been from the Holy Spirit. Right? Rather, rather belittling to all that we do over the course of the week. <laughs> I have seen worship bands lose all of their electric stuff and have to make things work on the fly. And people say, oh, that must have really been of the Holy Spirit. Or I have seen, oh, you guys, worship directors pour themselves out in prayer, seeking what God would have in order to uh, let the music work with the passage for that day and communicate the truth of God's word in beautiful ways that the Holy Spirit loves. And everybody looks at it and goes, yeah, that was fine. But if they tack on one spontaneous song at the end, everyone goes, oh, the Spirit must be working. Right? Something was spontaneous. I'm going to go ahead and say that this view, that if it is spontaneous, it is more likely from the Holy Spirit, is crazy to me. Why is it crazy? Because of the Bible's description of who our God is. Right? Who is God in the Bible? He is the ultimate pre-planner, is he not? He is the one who planned the entire universe and then brought it to bear. He is the one who has planned all of human history to the minute details and now is working it all out. He is the one who has predestined, right? Whatever you think of how predestination happens, the Bible clearly teaches us God has predestined us. That is pre-planned what is going to happen. And now it is getting worked out. And and isn't prophecy God giving us little glimpses into his pre-planning? And then showing us, look, look at the way my pre-planning is working out. Our God is the ultimate planner, the ultimate pre-planner. And so it is crazy to me that people would look at a characteristic like spontaneity and say, well, that must show that the Holy Spirit is present. Now listen, the Holy Spirit can absolutely and positively work through the spontaneous as he can absolutely and positively work through the prayerful planning of people who put things in place ahead of time. God can work through both of those things. But the idea that, well, if it's spontaneous, it must be more of the Holy Spirit, that just doesn't make any sense to me given who we know our God to be. All right. While I'm stepping on toes, let's get to this third one, all right? (laughs) Poor markers of the Holy Spirit's presence and powerful work. Certain outward worship expressions. Certain outward worship expressions. Let me start with this. When the Spirit of God begins to transform our lives, He is going to transform the inside of who we are, and that is always, 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 always going to work its way out into our outward expressions. So please don't hear me say there shouldn't be outward expressions of the Spirit's presence. Absolutely there should be. We should be being transformed on the inside and the outside by the work of the Spirit of God. However, I have over the course of the years that I have been in ministry seen people latch onto certain outward expressions which the Bible does not connect to the presence or work of God or to a measurement of the presence of work of God and use it as a measurement of the presence or work of God. 
Years and years ago, I had an opportunity to preach in a Japanese church in Los Angeles, filled primarily with first-generation Japanese immigrants. And as I was preaching, you could hear a pin drop for the entire 40 minutes I preached. It was astounding how quiet it was in the room. This was a church that was seeing people come to faith, making disciples, and they, I would say 90% of the people there sat there taking meticulous notes on what I was saying so that they could know what the Word of God said and have it with them to live it out as they went forward. It was, uh, you could feel the reverence for the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God in their quiet and their attention. I have also had the opportunity to preach to an indigenous group in the mountains of Panama. And while preaching to them, they so regularly responded back to me, I didn't know when to start talking again. It might be more appropriate to say they so regularly talked back to the interpreter because they could understand what he was saying. And so he got all the amens and all the kudos. But I'd be like, okay, I think they're done. At one point, a lady, you know, stood up and started yelling, yes, yes, yes. And people were regularly yelling yes and amen because I think they thought those are the two words he can understand. They yelled some other things I couldn't understand back at me. And there was this back and forth. This was also a church that was spreading the gospel of Jesus and seeing new disciples made. And it was beautiful to be a part of that as we interacted with each other. I think we would make a tremendous mistake if we looked at the exterior expressions of these two congregations and judged more, one, to be more Uh, in line with the Holy Spirit, to have more presence and more work of the Holy Spirit based on the outward workings of what is going on. And yet, we're all tempted to do that. Right now, some of us are like, yes, meticulous notes, that is what it is about. If you're not doing that, you, you don't have the Spirit. Yes, yelling amen at the pastor, that is what it's all about. If you're not doing that, you don't have... All right, nobody's actually saying that, but you get the idea. We're all drawn to certain outward expressions. Amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. And I have been a part of conversations in which believers have measured the Spirit's presence and work in the life of a person or a church based on whether or not the volume was loud enough of their singing. Their heads were bowed during prayer. The notes they took during sermons were meticulous. Their hands were raised during singing. People said amen to the pastor. Like, like, none of these things are wrong. Taking meticulous notes, that's not wrong. Saying amen to the pastor, that's not wrong. There we go. These things aren't wrong. Raising your hands during worship, I do it all the time. But they're terrible measures. These kinds of outward worship expressions that the Bible doesn't say are markers of the Spirit's presence are terrible measures of whether the Spirit is working and present. Right, so, so... I can't sit here and walk through these 
three poor markers and not have us get to the really, really good markers that God gives us, right, for the Spirit's presence and work. We want to know, how, how can we tell? The Spirit is present and working in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in the life of our church. What does that look like? Well, first, two things that we're not going to talk about today because there's going to be entire sermons on them later in this series. First, life is governed by the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you can tell he's present and working. We're going to have a whole sermon on that, so I'm not going into that. Second, life's being used to serve others with the gifts of the Spirit. Again, whole sermon on that later, so I'm not going into that. But in John 14, 15, and 16, what does Jesus give us that are great markers of whether or not the Spirit is present and powerfully working. First, life will be about making much of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in us, life is going to be about making much of Jesus. Uh, Just look at what Jesus says. He says, the Holy Spirit is coming in my name. He's coming for the purpose of bearing witness about me. And finally, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And here is the spirit's purpose for coming. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. How can you tell the spirit is present and powerfully at work? Because that person or that church is making much of Jesus. That may seem counterintuitive to us, but the sign that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in a person or congregation is not that the Holy Spirit is being exalted. It's that Jesus is being exalted because the Holy Spirit's entire aim is to exalt Jesus. And if we're on board with the Holy Spirit, we're on board with his aims. And his aim is to glorify Jesus. And so you can tell that someone has the Holy Spirit present and powerfully working in them because their life is about making much of Jesus, exalting him at every turn. Life is about making much of Jesus. Second, we see here in this passage, a marker of the Holy Spirit's presence and work, life is governed, ruled, reigned by the truth of God's teaching. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is the one who will lead you into all truth, that he is the spirit of truth. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all you need to know. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will give you all of my teaching, remembrance of all of my teaching. He'll teach you the things that you're not ready for. What is this passage all about? It is about the spirit of truth teaching us the things that we need to know of Christ, about the gospel and about the kingdom. Life is governed by the truth of God's teaching for those who have the Spirit present and powerfully at work in them. They will have a a love and a passion for meeting with God in His Word. Uh, Just a reminder of the passage we just read. When the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us all of the truth that Christ has for us. As we'll see next week, it is the Holy Spirit who has inspired the Word of God so that we can have all of that truth. It is the Holy Spirit that illuminates the believer so that our minds and our hearts are impacted by the Word of God so that we can be transformed. 
According to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit is the, what is it? Word of God, right? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. How can you tell the Holy Spirit is present and working because they love the sword of the Spirit, right? They love the Word of God. And the Word of God is powerfully at work in them. That is what Jesus is teaching here about the Spirit of truth who brings us into all truth. When we combine these ideas, we come up with a third idea, and that is this. It is a marker of the Holy Spirit's presence when life is committed to the gospel of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is at work, people make much of Jesus. We said, you can't make much of Jesus without talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ that is at the center of who Jesus is and what he has done. You can't make much of the second point, Jesus' teaching, if we don't recognize that its foundation, the very core, is always the gospel of Jesus. And so we recognize that if the Holy Spirit is present and at work, our life's going to be committed, the life of a church is going to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to living it out and to sharing it with others. I love what Jesus says in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And Jesus teaches again and again that it is the Spirit that lights the fire for sharing Jesus within us. And it is the Spirit that strengthens us for the sharing. And it is the Spirit that opens blind eyes and hard hearts to the message of Jesus.